Thank you, everybody. Hope you're well. What a great occasion for us to be together, celebrating that Jesus is alive and uh, the tomb is empty and uh, all that that implies. And last week, I, I started to speak about the gospel story and how context means everything. And I put a picture up of, uh, of a racing car looking like it was out of, out of spinning and spinning around. And I said, what, what, what does that picture tell you? And if those of you remember, actually it was, it was not a racing car spinning out of control. It actually was Lewis Hamilton winning the, the Drivers' Championship in 2018 and doing donuts on the, on the it was actually a celebration. It wasn't a, wasn't a destructive thing at all. Then I put a picture up of Jesus, and I said, what does that mean to you? Jesus on the cross. And what, what that means is that Jesus' context today, this weekend, Easter, is part of a story of which we're now part of those that have put their faith in Christ. And uh, it's so important to understand the story we're part of so we can understand the context that we're in to understand the fullness of what Jesus did. And what we want to do is we don't want to reduce Jesus or the gospel to me. Because the gospel is actually not about you and me, it's actually about Jesus. And so we have this, uh, this revelation of actually the gospel is part, I'm part of the story of God. I'm actually just doing my part and playing my part in this moment, in my time, doing what I can do for Jesus, with Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. But actually I'm part of a bigger story. And this morning what I want to do is I want to look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus in the same vein. And uh, the gospel is a story that comes together in Christ, which is what I've just said. And the crucified and risen Jesus is the Lord of all creation. That's what the good news is, that God has won the victory. There's nothing that's not under God anymore. All authority is in Christ, and He gives us a commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so this resurrection moment is a very, very significant very, very significant moment. It's more than Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life, of which he does, but that is a reduced version of the gospel. The bigger story of the gospel is that actually God, in his triumph on the cross, in his death and resurrection, has taken everything back to himself. All of creation of which we're part of. And we have a special part to play in that story. And so this morning I want to continue what that looks like. Remember this, friends, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. Heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. When we go to heaven, that's not the end of the world. That's the beginning of all things recreated. And we are not going to be uh, floating on the clouds, playing hops, getting fatter and fatter. Actually, we're going to be working in the new creation with, a new, with, a, with an unfallen mind with an unfallen body, with some, with, with, we don't even know what steel looks like in a, in a, in a, in a, in a recreated world. How does, it, how does the metal steel function in a recreated world? I don't know. Because I think sin, when it came onto the creation, it disfigured and distorted everything, not only us, but all of creation. And so we look forward to this new heaven and this new earth, of which this weekend, Easter Sunday, is the pivotal, pivotal moment. And we're going to get into what that story looks like. What we don't want to do is reduce the gospel to me. Because a reduced gospel means a reduced Jesus. And friends, Jesus is way bigger than what we can imagine or think. 
Jesus is mag magnificent. He is majestic. He is huge. At the cross, we celebrated on, uh, on Thursday nights at our Tenebrae service, a, a, an amazing time, just an hour of worship, sitting under the Word of God being read to us in darkness. As Jesus walks through the shadows that he had to walk through to get to the cross to do the will of the Father. And you go through all his tests, his betrayal, his burial, his, his, his humiliation and his crucifixion, and you go through all these steps and actually you begin to remember this moment of death that Jesus had on the cross was absolutely significant in the story that God is telling. The death and the resurrection of Jesus, friends, is the decisive victory over, over death, disease, Satan, sickness, loneliness, anything that you could think of. This weekend, we celebrate the fact that Jesus took it back. And he didn't just take it back, he, 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 he took it back in a certain way. We start to understand this, is that Jesus, with all his might and all his power, could have just come back and just squashed the enemy and just taken it by force. But he didn't. He didn't choose to take it back that way. Leslie Newbegin says this, Jesus' calling is to the way of suffering, rejection, and death, and to the way of the cross. He bears witness to the presence of the reign of God, not by overpowering the forces of evil, but by taking their full weight upon himself. Yet it is then that, the seeming defeat, that victory is won. You see, friends, those are key terms. The way Jesus takes it back is through seeming defeat. Who feels like they're in seeming defeat right now? I want to tell you, don't give up hope, because the enemy thought that they had won victory over Jesus when they killed him. And that's why Jesus says to the Corinthians, it's the foolishness that actually is the wisdom of God. It seems like foolishness, but actually it's the wisdom of God. It seems like it's weakness, but actually it's the power of God. And friends, God continues to do that in our lives today. When you're in seeming defeat, the Easter story says, it might look like foolishness, but keep believing in Him. It might look like weakness by submitting and surrendering, but actually that's the very power of God that's going to bring victory. And so this is the, the picture that we, we're, we're getting stuck into. So what is the good news? What is the good news? And I've got some more pictures for us. What is the good news? Well, the good news is this, friends. Well, the story is this. There we go. History. So the history, this is the good news, friends. This is the good news. The good news is not that Jesus came to die for your sins so you can go to heaven. That's part of the good news. That's part of it. Obviously, that is unbelievably exciting. But friends, it's way bigger than that. And remember, this is history. So the biblical story gives us a history that is going towards an end. And in that end, what's going to happen is God will judge all evil and sin. He'll judge everything that was not of cre His creation and start a new age with new creation, with recreation. That is, the, that is the bad news, in fact. The bad news part of the story is, is that if we haven't got Jesus without Christ, we're on the, uh, a, a, a projection of history to the end where there's judgment for sin and for evil and God putting back into order what was out of order in the garden, that got out of order in the garden. And, what they, and the Bible talks about two ages, the present age and the age to come. And so we're looking forward, 
Not really. Looking forward to a day when God will return, Jesus will return, and he will judge all things and put everything to right, and the dawn of a new age will start. Recreation, things like they were as they were before Adam gave away his authority to the devil. But friends, the good news is this. This is the good news. The good news is that Jesus is not, hasn't, God didn't, is not waiting until the end to bring up a salvation plan, to bring up a rescue plan. What he's done is he's brought Jesus ahead in time, and on Jesus, the full judgment that would happen at the end of the earth, at the end of time when that end would come, was put on him. And the, God, the good news is this, is that if you're in Christ, you don't want to face the judgment at the end of time, because Jesus has already taken it for you. And so we step into Christ, and he takes the judgment and, the, and, the, and, and starts to put in place the redemptive plan of God in advance before the end comes. But that's not the only good news, because we're not just Easter people. We're actually Pentecost people. We must never separate Easter and Pentecost from the story. Because, you see, in Easter, God reclaims through his death and puts to right everything that was wrong, and through his resurrection power, puts in place everything that is to come. Inaugurates, the theologian says, starts the age to come. So that age to come that was going to come at the end of time now has already come in Jesus. And those that are in Christ already have eternal life built into their lives. They're not waiting to go to heaven to get eternal life. You've been readied with eternal life through the Holy Spirit in Christ. So the exciting thing about this, friends, is that Jesus has paid it all so that we won't have to. But more than that, friends, more than that, more than what he's done for me, he's actually taken back all of creation and said, I'm taking this back. It's mine now, and I'm going to start to put everything right, to rights. And I'm not just going to do it by just saying do it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to gather a people, a New Testament people called the church, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to empower them with the Holy Spirit, and they are going to be my agents, and they are going to be my ambassadors, and they are going to be the people, the prophetic people, that understand what's to come, and they begin to live and embody and in their prayer life and in their living out lives and in the way they love and the way they care, the way they respond to difficult situations, the way they believe that the power of God can move through their lives, they begin to do that now, in the, right now. And we keep doing that and trusting God to see more of heaven come to earth rather than waiting for us to go to die before we go to heaven. And so what happens is, the good news is, is the judgment is not ours. It was on Christ. And His love pervades our lives, fills us and empowers us with the Holy Spirit and sets a New Testament people in place. And we start to be the church that lives in the age to come already now before the end comes. We believe we, be, we have the age to come, the eternal life. Eternal life means not just that long life. It's a quality of life. It's eternal life is the age of the life to come. is already put in place in Christ into our hearts, and we begin to live lives as though the end had come and we were living a new creation. And we start trusting God and believing God for things that are not as though they are. 
and we can believe, and that's what the great hope of Easter is. And so what I want to do with that in mind, with that in mind, I want to have a look at John chapter 20 and John and 21. John chapter 20 and 21. Remembering this is the story. Remembering this is the story. You see, Easter demands that we become Easter people. It forms an Easter people that's got an Easter job to do. It's got Easter work to carry on. And more than Easter, it's got Pentecost coming where the empowerment of the Spirit enables us to do what God's called us to do as the church, to reveal God, to reveal the glory of God, to reveal the love of God, to reveal the power of God. That's what we are called to be as the church. Let's have a look here. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb. Both were running. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked into the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the, into the, 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 uh, the tomb. He saw the strips of linen there and, while, and as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. Friends, we've got to be those that go inside. As I'm reading that there, it's like when, when you give your life to Jesus, when Jesus becomes the Lord of all creation and Lord of all things, friends, we don't wait outside the tomb. We've got to be like Peter. We've got to learn from Peter there and run straight into the tomb. And actually get, God, what do you got for me? What is this thing? What? And just he's, there's this kind of boldness about Peter that he's not sticking to the rules. He wants Jesus. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes of Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated with Jesus' body, with Jesus, where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this stage, they turned around, and at, at, this, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was him, didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him. I want to get him. I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanah, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father, your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, I started off reading by saying early on the first day of the week. Now it's on the evening of the first day of the week, 
When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, if, if, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the, uh, where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the do though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to, told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did other, many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, leaving, that by believing you may have life in his name. In chapter 21, what happens is Peter gets a whole bunch of them, there's seven of them, of the disciples, and they go fishing. They're like a little bit dejected, and it's like, well, okay, that's cool. They go fishing. And so they go fishing, and what happens is Jesus comes to the beach, and he calls out to them, and they, what happens is they're catching nothing. That's what normally happens when you do stuff without Jesus. You catch nothing. And so they were catching nothing. And, and he said, listen, throw your, your nets over to the other side. So they put them on the right side of the boat, and they catch this massive, and all of a sudden they remember, oh, this is the same. And, and John says, this is the Lord. Peter, who was not wearing his outer garment, it says, put on his outer garment and not, jumps into the water and swims. You'd think if you're going to jump into the water, you'd take off your clothes. Not Peter. He puts them on, and he swims to Jesus. He doesn't want to leave anything behind. And so he swims to Jesus, and Jesus has got a fish bra waiting. And there's fish and there's bread, and Jesus already got some fish on the bra. And then he says to them, come and bring some of the fish that you've caught. You see the fish and the bread? There was a story about fish and the bread that Jesus told, where he fed 4,000 and he fed 5,000. A little bit of bread, a little bit of fish fed a lot of people. But you see, after the risen Christ comes, he brings his part, but you bring your part. There's a partnership in this relationship, in this, in this relationship with Jesus. As we bring our part, he brings his part, and they have a bride together, they have intimacy together. And then Jesus recommissions Peter. After Peter denied him three times, recommissions Peter and says, actually, I want you to go and be a shepherd of my people. It's a beautiful, beautiful story in John chapter 20 and 21. And I want to this morning have a look at the three big gospel pieces. Number one, the dawning of a new creation. Resurrection means the dawning of a new creation. Not just I'm a new creation, the dawning of the new creation, the recreation of Jesus in the time to come. You know that end time there, age to come? It's the dawning of that new beginning, that new age. Number one. Number two, a new people. And number three, a new commission. The resurrection means, number one, new creation. Number two, a new people. And number three, a new commission. There's work to do. 
The resurrection doesn't just believe, doesn't just mean that actually I'm alive now, or there is going to be life after death, or that actually I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm going to wait until I get there. No, 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 no. New creation means there, that's part. But there's now a new people and a new commission that God wants to put us into. So let's have a look at this. Resurrection of Jesus means the dawning of new creation. When Jesus said it is finished, one of the things that that means is that the old age is done and the new age has started. Listen to, listen to this. Does this sound familiar to you? On the first day of the week, he says twice, and that's John chapter 20. You see, on the sixth day, he died and was buried. On the seventh day, he rested in the tomb. And on the, and on the first day, he rose again. New creation was started. You get that? On the sixth day, he died. On the seventh day, he rested. On the first day, he rose to new creation. Guess who the, uh, uh, Mary aptly thinks that the man that she's speaking to is? A gardener. Where was Adam and Eve? They were in the garden. This is a new creation story. This is actually things are starting to be made new in Christ. In Christ, they've already started to be made new. We're not waiting for things. In Christ, he's been sent ahead of time. And ahead of that time, that actually this new creation is breaking into and what happens is he gathers his people and he says, as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. And what does he do to them? He breathes on them. Does that remind you of the garden, of God breathing onto Adam or into Adam? You see, this is a new creation story, friends. Jesus is the beginning of new creation. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He is the firstborn. He is not only the firstborn, but he is the first fruits of all those that have fallen asleep, it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. He is the firstborn of new creation. He's the first fruits of new creation. He is God, he is, and that word beginning, he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the word. That word beginning doesn't just mean, according to Herman Ritterboss, it doesn't just mean uh, to get, uh, the English word beginning does not get the significance of what Paul has in mind. Ritterboss says, for what is intended is not merely that Christ was the first or formed in the beginning in terms of a chronological order. He was rather the pioneer, the inaugurator, the one who opened up the way. With him, the great resurrection has become a reality. So Jesus, when it says he's the firstborn and the first priest, he has forced himself in and opened the way for all those that believe in him and trust in him would come into what he is and what he carries. This is the good news, friends. This is unbelievably good news. It means that what we have to face in this world is not going to last forever. It means that there's hope. And even if we don't see it in our lifetimes, we can believe that we know that there is recreation coming, but we can believe that if we build well, if we walk with Jesus, if we allow the Holy Spirit, if we don't separate Easter and Pentecost, and we allow the power of God to walk through our lives, work through our lives, that actually we can begin to see a bit of heaven come to earth while we're still alive. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Friends, you are a shadow of your future self. You're a shadow of your future self. Have you got hope? Have you got joy that the gospel brings? And what we do as we walk with Jesus, the shadow becomes more of a reality of actually who we are called to be and what we're meant to be as we become more like Jesus, as we become more of who God's called us to be 
as though Jesus lived our lives out in our context, in our age, in our time. You see, friends, the gospel, the, this, this story, this, this moment, this weekend is the hinge of history. All of history changed on this moment that we celebrate. The calendar changed. It's the hinge of history. It's like things are never, ever going to be the same because of the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Never, ever can they ever be the same again. God has started his plan. God has put in place some things, and we're now called to be the people that put those things on the ground. Not in an old covenant, in an Old Testament way, because they didn't have the death and the resurrection of Jesus then. But we now, as the New Testament people, do have that. Everything's changed. And we've got to get that change into our minds and our hearts. What Jesus was achieved in Christ was he opened the door to the new age. He opened the door to the word, to the, to the word and that's like a cosmic door that he opened up. And what our job is, friends, is to be the implementers of that achievement of Jesus. Somebody's used this example. It's like a, a medical researcher that found a cure. We don't take the cure and research it. We take the cure and inject people with it. You, you see, we, we take the cure to the people. What Jesus, the achievement that has happened over this weekend, has significantly changed anything. The kingdom has come in Jesus, and we walk through that door that he's opened, and we take the cure to people. You could use, it, you could use another example of a composer. Somebody composes a, a, a piece of music. We don't look at the piece of music and see where we can make it better. What we do is we are the conductors that take the music and get everybody to play in tune. You see, Jesus has opened the door and achieved this incredible victory under God. And it's the, the good news is that we put our faith in Him. What happens is we take the music to the people. We take the cure to the people because we never separate Easter and Pentecost. New creation. Resurrection means that new creation has dawned. The kingdom has come in Christ. The second thing is this. The resurrection of Jesus creates a new people. Friends, it doesn't create a new person. He creates a new people. And on that new people, the fire of God falls in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And the church gets empowered to be what it's called to be in the world. The church, Michael Goheen says, resurrection life is a foretaste. We have the church carries the foretaste of the kingdom. How do people know what God is like without, when they can't see him? When they can't, we don't know him. So what the point of this is this. The Bible says that the enemy has blinded the eyes of people that don't believe in Jesus. Isn't it incredible how, how Christie's story about walking with Jesus through her time of, of hip 
breaking hip and all that has got to do with people coming alongside her and helping her. You notice that? You see, if people are blinded to who God is, what God does is He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you something that you can see, that you can touch, and that you can feel. They're called the church. And they're going to be like a foretaste of what's coming. And so when you taste of them, it's going to be like you are tasting of heaven. When you taste of them, you're going to, it's, it's, it's going to make you hungry for more. When you taste of them, you're going to start to think the, the, the blindfold is going to come off and you're going to realize, oh, I want that. Who is that? What is that? His name's Jesus. You see, that's the church, friends. That's what we're called to be. A people of God empowered by His presence, by His Spirit, so that we can be a foretaste of what's to come. That's what the resurrection gives us, friends. It enables us, alongside with the Pentecost story of being powered by God, never separate the two, friends. The good news is not just Jesus died and was rose and rose from the dead. The good news is that Jesus died that he rose from the death, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and pours out what you now see called the Holy Spirit. That's the good news, the whole package. We want the whole package, not a reduced view. I'm safe, I've got my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven when I die. That's a reduced version of what God has got for us in the gospel. Where a resurrection gives us, makes us a foretaste people. The church is to be a living demonstration of the power of and the faith in the resurrection or it is not the church of God, Marcus Barth says. It's a living demonstration of the power of and the faith in the resurrection or it's not the church. Living demonstration, are our lives living demonstrations of the resurrection of Jesus? Are we on the road with Jesus? Is he shifting? Is he transforming? Remember, the gospel is cosmic in its implications, not personal and individual. It's also communal in its implications, what I'm saying now, the church together. And the church doesn't just do mission, the church is mission. It's being that, not just doing that. Running across borders and with passports when you're not doing it at home means nothing, friends. There's no power in that. Actually, the power of God comes when a people come together, diverse, they don't really know each other, they actually irritate each other, but yet the love of God allows them to be glued together by His Spirit, by His power, in a community that takes the gospel forward and gives people a taste of what's to come. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. You see, friends, in our minds, the resurrection is that new creation has come, and a new creation people, an Easter people, have been formed that is going to start to give people a foretaste of what's to come. See, Jesus' death brings an end to the old age and the ruling of power of sin. But Jesus' resurrection brings the beginning to the age to come and the new life. The church is a community of people that participates and shares in what Jesus has accomplished. And what he has achieved, we implement. Are we living an implementing life? Or are we trying to achieve what Jesus has already achieved? Friends, we've got to accept the notes, the music that has been set up for us. They're not, it's not for us to change. All we've got to do is learn to play it. Play the music. Bring the cure. Don't try to find a new cure. cure. Don't try to find our own cure. Just stick to the cure. The resurrection is the hope of God. 
I love, that. I love the Leslie Newbegin saying of when he was asked, he said this numerous times, when he was asked, have you got hope for the, when he came back from India after 35 years in India, went back to the, to the UK. He said, is there hope for India? He said this, he says, I'm neither a pessimist or an optimist. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. What he was saying is, my hope is not in whether this is going to happen or not. My hope is in the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead, new creation has dawned, and his people are moving. That's my hope, is in the resurrection of Jesus. Is your hope in the resurrection of Jesus, even like it doesn't, it might not feel like it right now, but is our faith in what he has done and he has accomplished? Have we got faith? Have, do we believe that the Son of God died and was risen again so that we can have life, eternal life, and that God will put us into a community and put friendships around us and put friends and put people around us in partnership with each other to take this incredible news to all corners of the earth? The third thing is this. The resurrection of Jesus is a new commission. John chapter 21, or ch John chapter 20, verse 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus comes with a sending message, with a going message. It doesn't come with a staying message and a gathering message. It comes with a going and a giving message. Inherent in the gospel, inherent in this resurrection life, as this church, this church age, we start to live this out, there's this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Are passports ready to go, friends? Are our meals ready to go to our neighbors next door? To love on people? Are, we, are our passports ready to, to go across borders for people? Because as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Easter commissions us, commissions Jesus' followers for their task, and Pentecost gives them the necessary equipment to accomplish it. Easter commissions us. You see, Easter, friends, is not Jesus making you ready for heaven. Jesus is commissioning you to bring heaven to earth. I can't keep saying that enough. And Pentecost gives you the equipment to be able to do that, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that, which means when you are, you are called to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. See people set free, change life, change worlds. The world that you're living in, whether you're in banking or whether you're in teaching or whether you're in academics or whatever you in, whatever the world you're in, you are to take this story into your world. Not just by witnessing and telling them how much Jesus loves, but being empowered by God to do your job in such a way that it reflects the story of heaven. God's gonna get, God wants the church to expect him for new creative ways to do old things. It's not just a religious thing. It's everything. Our whole lives get shaped by the story, by this resurrection story. And what happens is, friends, is the disciples, in the midst of this, go back to what they were used to. They go back to what they were used to. Peter goes back to what he used to do. He used to be a fisherman. When Jesus said, come follow me, he dropped everything, followed him. Through the process, he goes back to that. He, he's denied him. He, there's no way back for him, he feels. Let's go back to what I know. 
You see, friends, the resurrection of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, doesn't summon us back to what we know. It summons us to a dangerous and difficult task on earth. It summons us to something more. It doesn't summon us back to the old ways. It summons us to new things. A new horizon. The, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is not worried about our comfort and our convenience. The death and the resurrection of Jesus has inaugurated this new world and that God wants His ambassadors to fill it and to take His name and bring glory to His name. It's incredible that Jesus helps them to catch this enormous catch so that He can, so that he can get their, their attention. And he says to Peter, Peter, I haven't called you to be a fisherman. I've called you to be a shepherd. You see, the, resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus takes what we used to be, takes an engineer, and makes him a pastor. That's what God did with me. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus, friends, takes our old life and calls us into something bigger and something newer and something profound, and it's probably quite difficult. And it's something that you can't do without Him. But yet God calls us into that. And we can sit in the convenience and the comfort of our own smallness, or we can step into the bigness of God's new world and say, God, empower me to take this message on. You see, friends, when we let the risen Jesus go to the roots of our rebellion, our denial, and our sin, and offer us love and forgiveness like Peter did, we find ourselves being shepherds instead of fishermen. What's God called you to do? What's the unlikely thing that God's called you to do? I'm going to tell you now the death and the resurrection. And with Pentecost coming, get excited for what God wants to do with your life. Get excited with God wants to do in your life. You see, the form that forgiveness takes, friends, for Peter is work in the kingdom. The form of forgiveness is not sit back and know I'm forgiven and I'm rejoicing. We come to church and we up and down, hey, hey. Become fans of Jesus, pom-poms. Jesus, my king. Pom-pom. No, God wants us to get our hands dirty in the muck and the mire of the lives of people around us, empowered by the Spirit, bringing this new creation and this new age to all people that don't yet know it. It being a foretaste of what this means. And I trust as we have communion now, as we end off, friends, it's not just about remembering, Je about remembering the blood and the body of Jesus and what He's done for me. It's understanding this, is that when we take these elements, it reminds us that this is the beginning of new creation that starts in me. This is the beginning of new creation that starts in me and flows out of me to those around me. This is, the, this, is the, this is the inauguration of the New Testament people. God has put me into community. God has put me into the life of a church, of a local church that's preaching the gospel, that's going to the nations, that's taking up, that bringing out the best in you and wants to bring out the best in you and equipping you. Friends, the reason why we do equipping is not because that's what churches do. The reason why we do small groups is not that because that's what churches do. The reason why we do that is because you grow in small groups. The reason why we do that is we want to equip you for life. 
We're going to equip you with finances. We're going to equip you with the prophetic because actually we're called to be a prophetic people. Bringing heaven to earth. A foretaste. That's what it means to be prophetic. You see, friends, when we have the, when we have the blood and the body, the, bird, the bread and the, and the grape juice this morning, friends, understand this. New creation has come into me. I'm a new creation. I'm not what I used to be. My old is dead and my new is alive. Romans chapter 6, I want to preach about that tonight. It's absolutely profound of what it looks like for the new creation person to be birthed. But it's more than that. God puts me into a people because it gets worked out in relationship and in community. And more than that, friends, He gives me a mission. He gives me a commission. He gives me rank. He gives me orders. He gives me work to do. And we've got to get on and do it by the power of the Spirit. When we have the elements this morning, I pray that God would put those three things and converge them into our hearts in such a power dynamic that it completely undoes our hearts and our minds. And every time we do that, we remember that, Lord, new creation and a new people with a new task at hand. What do you call me to do? What is the unlikely job that you called me to do? An engineer becoming a pastor. What is that? Lawyers planting churches. Quantity surveyors planting churches. There we go. Civil engineers going. Architects planting churches. No longer going to be a shepherd, my boy. I mean, a, a, a fisherman. I'm going to make you a shepherd. I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone and make you in, put you into something. Tell your friends, there's a commissioning moment now. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus is the commissioning of the church. It's a commissioning. Can we just stand, please?